Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 45, For the Love. Guys, I hope, I'll keep it short because I know I've been saying this every week, but I hope you guys aren't getting sick of me saying thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sharing. The numbers yet again this week continue to go up, and I was just saying a prayer right before I started recording and just thanking Heavenly Father for helping this podcast spread spread (laughs) spread to whoever needs to hear it it makes me so happy to think that whoever was supposed to hear it whoever needed to hear it heavenly father is helping them find this particular podcast and for whatever reason they need to hear what i have to say and what what the spirit has to say through me when i first started this podcast it started kind of you know, higher up in the numbers because, you know, I was telling all my family and friends about it and kind of getting the word out there and it stayed steady for a little bit. And then I was ever so slightly inconsistent and my numbers kind of dropped a little bit and now they're recovering and actually they've fully recovered at this point and are continuing to rise exponentially. And it just really is so rewarding. So I'll stop talking about this, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So this week we are studying sections 81 through 83. 81 is an interesting one because it is setting up the official structure of the first presidency. In a previous section, and I I forgot which one, the first counselor, Sidney Rigdon, is called. And in section 81, a second counselor is called. Now, you'll notice as you're reading the preface of this section that it talks about a man named Jesse Gauss. I don't know how to say that name. but And Jesse Gauss was a very recent convert when he was called to, to be in the first presidency. And he very quickly became an inactive member. And then later that year, in December, I believe, he was excommunicated. So after nearly a year, after this section was originally revealed, they went back and replaced the name Jesse Gauss with Frederick G. Williams, who they called to be the second counselor in the first presidency. So it's a little bit weird, but yet again can demonstrate to us that the Doctrine and Covenants is to everyone. And as the Lord said, what I say unto one, I say unto all. So this particular revelation was intended for the second counselor of the first presidency. And that's all we need to worry about. And just for the sake of understanding the context of the next two sections, between section 81 and 82, um, historically, what was happening was Joseph and Sidney were attacked by a horrible mob. And up to this point, there hadn't been a ton of physical persecution, but this particular attack was very horrific. Both were drug out of their house in the middle of the night into freezing conditions. They were tarred and feathered and otherwise beaten. Sidney Rigdon sustained a serious head injury. And as I'm sure many of you have heard before, Joseph and Emma attributed the death of one of their twins, which happened a week later, to the cold night air that was let in during this attack. So by the time we get to section 82, Joseph and Sidney had traveled to Missouri, but neither one of them, because of this this mob attack, were in very good condition to be traveling. But they were really set on obeying the Lord's command to head down to Missouri. So they did it anyway. Section 82 is in response to Joseph seeing some of the drama among the leadership when he got down to Missouri. And Section 83 is in response to seeing all of the widows and orphan children down in Missouri and how the church should take care of them as long as they are faithful. So for today, the few scriptures that I want to focus on are Doctrine and Covenant Section 82 verses 8 through 10. They say, And again I say unto you, I give unto you a new commandment, that ye may understand my will concerning you. 
Or in other words, I give unto you directions how you may act before me, that it may turn to you for your salvation. I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise. So let's talk about commandments and why the Lord gives them. In verse 8, he explains that he gives us commandments so that we may understand his will for us. So why do we need to understand his will? Why do we need to know what he wants us to do? Our Father in Heaven's ultimate goal is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Let's talk first about what Satan's plan was. Let's first define immortality. Immortality is the reunification of spirit and body to in a resurrected state. Every person who lives on the earth right now has gained a body and will ultimately be resurrected and have immortality. Which, random side note, I was recently reading a medical journal article and it was talking about cellular therapy science. (laughs) That's probably not the official name, but that is coming out about how they are getting closer and closer to cellular therapy that can potentially, in theory, stop, reverse, slow, I'm not totally sure, the aging process. And I just love thinking about stuff like this because we all know that God knows infinitely more about science than we do. And I love imagining science as God's toolbox for how he accomplishes the things that in our mind seem so impossible like immortality. So when I hear about things advances in our own world like this, it reminds me that there are real scientific processes that Heavenly Father uses in order to accomplish his purposes, including how on earth we get to have immortal bodies. How does that work? So. I, of course, don't understand how immortality works in reality, but I love hearing things that start to scratch the surface on how maybe God makes this possible. Okay, sorry, got off track. So we defined immortality, the reunification of spirit and body living forever as resurrected beings. Let's now define eternal life. So LDS.org defines eternal life as living in God's presence and to continue as families. Like immortality, this gift is made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. However, to inherit eternal life requires our obedience to the laws and the ordinances of the gospel. Eternal life is living the quality of life that Heavenly Father lives. So, our Heavenly Father's goal is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. However, in order to inherit eternal life, our obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel are required. And why is that required? Well. For one, if it wasn't required, we quite literally would be living the plan that Satan set forth in the pre-mortal existence. The Bible dictionary says this about the war in heaven. The war in heaven was primarily over how and in what manner the plan of salvation would be administered to the forthcoming human family upon the earth. The issues involved things such as agency, how to gain salvation, and who should be the redeemer. So Satan's ultimate goal, when you look at it very, very simply, was the same. It was for Heavenly Father's children to gain bodies and to return. But when you think about the true goal of salvation, which is for us to become like him, that becomes far more complicated because in order for us to become like him, our spirits need to grow and mature. And our spirits can't grow and mature if we lack experiences. And those experiences boil down to choosing God over all things. Satan's plan involved the lack of ability to mature and change and grow to be like Heavenly Father. And without commandments, without right or wrong, we would have an inability to sin and inability to feel good and evil and to choose really anything. 
Lehi described this concept and also the plan of salvation in the most perfect and incredible way, and I'm going to read it. It's a little long, but try to really focus on the intricacies of what he's saying. This is 2 Nephi chapter 2, verses 7-16. through 16. Behold, he offereth himself as a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. Wherefore he is the firstfruits unto God, inasmuch as he shall make an intercession for all the children of men, and they that believe in him shall be saved. And because of the intercession for all, all men come unto God. Wherefore they stand in the presence of him, to be judged of him according to truth and holiness which is in him. Wherefore the ends of the law which the Holy One hath given, unto the inflicting of the punishment which is affixed, which punishment that is affixed is in opposition to that of the happiness which is affixed, to answer the ends of the atonement. For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must needs be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it should be one body, it must needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense, nor insensibility. Wherefore, it must needs have been created for a thing of naught. Wherefore, there would have been no purpose in the end of its creation. Wherefore, this thing must needs destroy the wisdom of God and his eternal purposes, and also the power and the mercy and the justice of God. And if ye shall say there is no law, ye shall also say that there is no sin. If ye say that there is no sin, ye shall also say that there is no righteousness. And if there be no righteousness, there can be no happiness. And if there be no righteousness nor happiness, there be no punishment nor misery. And if these things are not true, there is no God. And if there is no God, we are not, neither the earth. For there could have been no creation of things, neither to act nor to be acted upon. Wherefore, all things must have vanished away. And now, my sons, I speak unto you these things for your profit and learning. For there is a God, and he hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are, both things to act and things to be acted upon, and to bring to pass his eternal purposes in the end of man after he had created our first parents, and the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the air, and in fine all things which are created, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other bitter. Wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by one or the other. So back to the question we are asking, why do we need to know the will of the Lord for us? because he knows the way and desires our return back to him. The next verse in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 82, verse 9, says, Or in other words, I give them unto you directions how you may act before me, that it may turn to you for your salvation. And then earlier in this section, in verse 4, it says, Justice and judgment are the penalty which is fixed onto my law. Now, I love thinking about all of the things that we are told are fixed. So justice and judgment are fixed. And also, in the verses that we just read in 2 Nephi, it says punishment is affixed and opposition to that of the happiness which is affixed. So 
So happiness is a fixed. If we follow the commandments, if we get to where God wants us to get, that happiness is made sure. It is promised. It is affixed. And I think that's so cool. So going back to that verse four, justice and judgment are the penalty which is fixed onto my law. So it's explained to us right there that our actions, our decision to either obey or disobey the commandments, bring about our salvation or lack thereof, which salvation is a word interchangeably used with exaltation or eternal life. Why do we need the commandments? Heavenly Father knows exactly what his end goal is for each one of us and what changes and milestones need to be reached to get there. He knows exactly our perfect potential and every quality we need to acquire through experience to reach that potential. Wouldn't it be completely futile, completely even cruel and uncaring of God to have that goal, understanding how we can get there and yet give us no instruction? The commandments are our instructions, and the Lord mercifully included in those commandments the command to repent, literally a command that allows you to undo actions you have taken to defy the instructions you've been given to get back to his presence. Think about how loving that is. We are given commandments, which are hard, which we are imperfect at, and we are literally given a reset button, the atonement of Jesus Christ, repentance. And that's because he wishes for all of us, every single person, to make it back to him. Elder John A. Widstow stated, The eternal plan of the Lord, the gospel, is to save and exalt all his children, from the first to the last man. Any other view is of a merciless, cold divinity, presenting an insurmountable handicap in life's efforts. True religion is marked by the doctrine that salvation, that is, unending happiness and joy, is within the reach of all men and will be measurably reached by all. The gospel offers eternal hope to every soul in spite of weakness and failure and folly. Our Heavenly Father's plan for each and every person is to bring them back to Him. There is never any intent by God to deny salvation unto any person. However, let's read verse 10. I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, you have no promise. Listen to how strong that language is. I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say. So although his plan is to bring every single person back, that plan's success hinges upon that person's use of agency in doing what he says. The philosophies of men would tell us, as it says in 2 Nephi chapter 28, verse 8, And there shall also be many which shall say, Eat, drink, and be merry. Nevertheless, fear God. He will justify in committing a little sin. Yea, lie a little. Take the advantage of one because of his words. Dig a pit for thy neighbor. There is no harm in this. And do all these things, for tomorrow we die. And if it so be that we are guilty, God will beat us with a few stripes. And at last we shall be saved in the kingdom of God. This is a lie. Recognize it for what it is. This argument is seen everywhere in modern language. It is designed to flatter you. It is designed to make you feel good in your sin. It is designed to destroy you. I see this on social media all the time. Don't mistake self-flattery for self-compassion. It is ultimately the opposite of compassion to convince yourself that you can do whatever you want, whatever feels good to you, and receive no consequence because it's quite simply not true. And if not, no consequence, a slap on the wrist after it's all said and done. If this were true, God would cease to be God as described by Alma. 
Alma 42, verse 13. Now the work of justice could not be destroyed. If so, God would cease to be God. And thus we see that all mankind were fallen, and they were in the grasp of justice, yea, the justice of God, which consigned them forever to be cut off from his presence. And now the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. Therefore God himself atoneth for the sins of the world, and bring to pass the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice, that God might be a perfect, just God, and also a merciful God. Now repentance could not come unto men except there were a punishment, which also was eternal as the life of the soul should be, affixed opposite to the plan of happiness, which was as eternal also as the life of the soul. Now how could man repent except he should sin? And how could he sin if there was no law? How could there be a law save there was a punishment? Now there was a punishment affixed and a just law given, which brought remorse of conscience unto man. Now if there was no law given, if a man murdered, he should die, would he be afraid he would die if he should murder? And also, if there was no law given against sin, men would not be afraid to sin. And if there was no law given, if men sinned, what could justice do, or mercy either, for they would have no claim upon the creature? But there is a law given, and a punishment affixed, and a repentance granted, which repentance mercy claimeth. Otherwise, justice claimeth the creature, and executeth the law, and the law inflicteth the punishment. If not so, the works of justice would be destroyed, and God would cease to be God. But God ceaseth not to be God, and mercy claimeth the penitent, and mercy cometh because of the atonement. And the atonement bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection of the dead bringeth back men into the presence of God, and thus they are restored into his presence, to be judged according to their works, according to the law and justice. For behold, justice exerciseth all his demands, and also mercy claimeth all which is her own, and thus none but the truly penitent can be saved. What, do you suppose, can mercy rob justice? I say unto you, Nay, not one whit, if so, God would cease to be God. And thus God bringeth about his great and eternal purposes, which were prepared from the foundation of the world, and thus cometh about the salvation and the redemption of men, and also their destruction and mercy. When I was starting this podcast, I added a tagline that I really haven't talked about a whole lot, nor have I really tied it into the episodes. But if you'll notice, my podcast is called Come Follow Me with Brie for the Love. And when I say for the love, I mean for God's love for us and for our love for him. All of this, commandments, agency, punishment, justice, mercy, atonement, repentance, all of those things can be viewed as restrictive and limiting. All of those things are part of a perfect plan because he loves us. I could literally tie every single episode I could ever create back to that one idea that God loves us, that this whole thing is all about love. John three sixteen through 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Savior summarized all the commandments perfectly in Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. When the Lord asks his disciples if they love him, and they reply, yes, he says, feed my sheep. Think about how loving that is. 
how to show love for him, the great and almighty God, is to show love for each other? How do we show love for him? If ye love me, keep my commandments. Elder D. Todd Christofferson said, Will you not love him who first loved you? Then keep his commandments. Will you not be a friend to him who laid down his life for his friends? Then keep his commandments. Will you not abide in his love and receive all that he graciously offers you? Then keep his commandments. And the Lord himself in this section says, I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say. And what he says is to keep his commandments. And those commandments include messing up and repenting. I think that there are many reasons that the human family is given the opportunity to raise children, whether they be your own or they be relatives or they be in primary. I think any soft heart feels a special kind of love when they teach and nurture and guide a child. It has been such a sweet experience to get to be a parent and to feel a glimpse of what Heavenly Father must feel for us. I heard a saying once that said, a mother is only as happy as her most unhappy child. And at the time when I heard that saying, my daughter was going through some really, really rough things with severe OCD. And during that time, that saying really resonated with me heavily. It was like there was a constant weight on my chest that wouldn't go away no matter how distracted I became in the moment. Now, I actually don't think that that saying is a very emotionally healthy or helpful way to live life as a parent. I think that it's important to learn how to accept hard circumstances in your child's life and be able to also continue to feel happiness in your own. I don't think I totally have that mastered, but I at least recognize that that's the way I aspire to be able to handle having children and with hard things happening in their life because I know that they will. But I just think about the incredibly close connection I feel to my children and their happiness. And I think about everything I do for them, all the rules I have that may feel restrictive to them, all is done with the intent and purpose of helping them live successful and ultimately happy lives. And sometimes they don't understand entirely why I have certain rules because they don't see the bigger picture. And I think of Heavenly Father and all the commandments that may feel restrictive, that may feel unfair because of our limited understanding compared to his all-knowing understanding of our divine nature and destiny. I think about how hard it must be to send your sweet spirit children down to earth, knowing exactly who they have the capacity to become, knowing that your ultimate goal is to bring them back, but that they might make choices that render that impossible. The commandments are so loving. We wouldn't know how to do it without instruction. We wouldn't be capable of doing it without the gospel of Jesus Christ so that our actions can lead to salvation by binding the Lord to his promises through the faithful, enduring, imperfect, but through the commitment of lifelong repentance, perfect use of our agency. We are offered so much because he loves us. And all we have to do to receive ultimate joy as he experiences it is to do as he says and keep his commandments and always remember that repenting when you mess up is one of those commandments. If you love him, if you want to serve him and honor him and bring glory to his perfect, beautiful, loving, wonderful name, keep his commandments, which are given for the purest, most unimaginable love for all mankind. 
And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.